Welcome to the Black Tech Fest podcast. This is our roundup of everything that is going on in the black community with regards to technology, innovation, creativity, and culture. Hey Otis, um, great having you with us during Black Tech Fest and being part of our belonging summit. Um, you know, you've been on our TV screens for over 20 years now, doing many different things, um, and again, so happy to talk about tech, culture, um, and also gadgets and your love of comics as well. <laughs> um, but before we, we dive into that, I really wanted to start from the beginning and to talk a little bit around what was it like growing up for you? What was, what was Otis like in his teenage years? What were you interested in? How did you, how did you think about the world then? Um, I didn't, the world didn't exist outside my, um, my social bubble. So um, I had my my parents and their friends. Uh, my mum and dad were the only siblings from their families who left Ghana to come to the UK. Yeah. They originally um, they originally tried uh, Germany. My dad uh, left Ghana to go to Germany. They were in um, Hamburg, and for two years he taught. English and a little bit of maths and saved money to then fly my mum over. So for two years, uh, without Skype, without video calling, without without the internet, yeah. you know, they kept it they kept it nice via letters. Um, and mum flew over. Didn't Germany didn't get on with mum. Okay. Um, she felt uncomfortable. Didn't like the stairs. Um, so some, someone recommended London, go figure. <laughs> um, uh, but mum and dad came over to London, uh, early 70s. And um, yeah, as I say, I can remember my parents being very social and um, growing up uh, among um, surrogate aunties and uncles. And um, the, extended I, the extended family, yeah. And I was the... I was the clown. I was the funny one. Nothing was nothing was ever serious, unless I was getting a beating for it, um, and that pretty much continued. I was the I was the class clown um, from you know from primary school right up through secondary school, um, but I was continually told that I had smarts yeah. that I could do better. And um, I had a very, very keen interest in science and science fiction and, and, and those kind of things. And um, I felt I had to follow those. My mum and dad wanted me to be a, um, a doctor or a lawyer, standard West African household uh, run-ins. And, and I, didn't, I didn't want to commit to such a long stretch of study as medicine would have required and I didn't want the responsibility or the weight that being a, a, a solicitor a lawyer carried either but I still had a I still had an interest in um, science and medicine so I studied pharmacy okay so somewhere in the middle somewhere in the middle yeah and all the while while uh, while studying pharmacy I still wanted to you know sing and entertain friends and um and and escape through through comic books and stuff your love of comics and that almost being a place 
where you could um, not necessarily escape, but a place that you you really enjoyed, even up until this point. I, where did that almost come into it? I think I think it was looking back now with uh, you know a, a bit more wisdom. Yeah. Um, it was it was definitely escapism. Uh, but also it was a world where science fiction, where, where science ruled or the bending yeah. of science rules um, happen. Uh, you know, the, just fantasy is escapism. Yeah. And uh, these, per these people weren't real, but sometimes it was nice to, to engage in that. Um, and I started collecting uh, at, I was 15 and uh, I remember we had a, a free reading period during during English, so you're able to bring in your own uh, material. Yeah. And a friend of mine brought a couple of comic books in, and uh, me and some friends proceeded to take the mickey out of him. It's like, what are you reading comic books for? These are for kids, man. Uh, you know, read a, read a proper book. And uh, he slid a comic across the table to me, and he said, just read it. Yeah. Read it, come back to me tomorrow, oh, Thursday, or when you're finished, let me know what you think. And I read this comic, and it blew my mind. And he was smart, because he gave me one of the seminal books in, in comic book history, the seminal stories. It was The Killing Joke. Yeah. To this day, that story still reads so dark, so entertaining. Um, and I was hooked from then. Uh, so I said to him, I need, I need more, <laughs> feed me more. Give me more, let, yeah. me, let, me, let me get that learning. Um, so he gave me after that, or he lent me um, The Dark Knight Returns, yeah. another seminal Batman story. Yeah. And so from then I started collecting single issues um, of Batman. Um, and uh, Batman, Green Lantern, uh, Spider-Man, um, X-Men, Fantastic Four. Those, that was the first handful of titles that, um, that I collected. And looking back, which is easy to do because I still have many of, the, of these comics, um, there was little to zero um, racial representation. But the way they framed a lot of their characters was they are outcasts. Yeah. Uh, and they are um, they are not accepted for who and what they are because of laser eyes yeah. or you know an over an over muscular um, uh, physique that kind of thing. And to be fair, it wasn't a question at the time at that time. Yeah. Um, you didn't think about it. Uh, you didn't. It, it didn't. It didn't come it, to you. Never never occurred to me. Didn't um, didn't come to me at the time. And, um, you know, I continued to read comics in blissful ignorance yeah. for, you know, a, a couple of decades after that point. And I suppose when you think through, you know, your career, I'm always amazed by the breadth of it in the, in the sense that you started very much um, kids' programs and children's television and then moving across the field. I always think when I think about those shifts and leaps that you've made... How have you approached some of those? Have those been intentional or similar to comics, yeah. ignorance, bliss, and, uh, and just moved through? A lot of... <laughs> I have been blessed. Um, I, have a, I have a job that offers um, variety 
interest. I meet fantastic people, you know, every other day in a week. Yeah. Um, and for a lot of it, I did just coast and enjoyed the ride. Uh, and a lot of my successes up until about 10 years ago um, were dumb luck. Yeah. When I, when I intentionally started to um, look outside of children's television, as I've been doing it for, in one form or another for about eight years, yeah. eight or nine years, and I, and, and I felt as though as much as I was enjoying doing it, I was, you know, I was approaching my 30s, and I was concerned that the children wouldn't believe me yeah. anymore. Yes, there were uh, children's presenters older than me, um, and I, I didn't have anything against children, but I felt that I reached um, a plateau there yeah. and now wanted to broadcast to larger audiences yeah. and talk to people um, like I would talk yeah. to people. Similar ages, similar yeah. interests. Yeah, it was incredibly difficult. Yeah. Um, I was met with, uh, I, I met with the controller of BBC One at the time, and uh, she said to me, um, I don't really have anything for you, you know, to step onto from children's. Her advice to me was, maybe you should leave television altogether, go do something different, okay, and then come back. Yeah. Because part of the nature of television is, people believe in what you're doing, and believe that that's all you yeah. can do. That's what they see. That's what they, they see you for what you're doing, yeah. and, and oh, you always get pigeonholed. Oh, this is a great presenter, but there's no he can't talk to adults because yeah. he he does, he does kids shows. Yeah. yeah. The challenge with being an actor and, and starting from the bottom rung was one of finance. I had become used to a certain lifestyle. Yeah. Um, through money earned as a presenter, yeah. and I wasn't getting anywhere near that as um, as an actor. Yeah. And um, you're almost starting from the bottom, almost. There's, there's, that no, there's no almost. Like you are, you yeah. are starting from the bottom. Yeah. Uh, the only rungs lower down would be extra ones. Yeah. And even some extras are successfully appearing in the consistently. Game. Yes. Yeah. And I didn't have that consistency, yeah. and so it became important after a while to get consistent work, and I realised that to achieve that in acting would take. A lot, not yeah. something that I didn't have, um, but would take a lot. And I already had a reputation as a presenter, um, and it would make more sense to exploit that yeah. and just just keep going. So what I did was I accepted one or two children's presenting jobs while I kept the eye on the prize, which was a gig in um, grown-up television. Yeah, and after. Four or so years, it finally happened with, yeah. with the Gadget Show. So most recently, you've been um, a presenter on the Gadget Show, and and you talked a little bit around being lucky and and fortunate enough, I, I suppose, to do what you do now, which is being able to um, review and explore gadgets and technology, which is for a lot of people like dreams, right? Yeah, it's it's. Uh... It's it again. It's, it's 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 how do you question something like you know? Is it by design? Did I make it happen, or did someone present the opportunity to me? I I had come to a point in my career where um, the agent I was with was um, she had joined a larger 
um, agency with much bigger names than me. And I felt as though I had slipped down the pecking order as a result of that. And so round about, I think it was mid 2008, I made the decision to move on from, from her and join another agency. It's, it's, like, it's like splitting up with a girlfriend or your wife. Like I thought about it so much and how I was going to break it to her and, you know, just without it sounding mean. Um, and her response was kind of like, yeah, yeah, this shit happens all the time. It's, you know, I accept. It's yeah. cool. I get it. Yeah. It's business. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I could have done that six months ago, <laughs> man. Um, anyway, I moved to a new agency uh, and as, as part of getting to know uh, my new agent, she asked me, are there any TV shows out there that you could see yourself hosting? Yeah. And I said, you know what? Nah, there's, there's nothing out there really for me. Um, but there are one or two shows that I enjoy watching. Okay. And so maybe could, you know, bring my own essence to it. And I told her the gadget show was one of them. Yeah. And what, what was it about the gadget show, just I suppose as a viewer, yeah. that got you interested? It was informative and it looked like fun. Yeah. And so I believe everybody should continue to be educated and, and learn new things. But we can't all get it from a book. I'm not one of those people who can get it from a book. I have some of the most amazing titles on my shelf. Come to my house and you'd be like, oh, this brother is well read, you know, look. History of Seven Killings and British. He's got, he's got all the titles. Yep. I haven't read half of them. I know what they, I know what they have. Yeah. Um, but I haven't, I haven't read half of them. For me, it's got to be the best, the best learning tool, the best teacher's experience. And so if I can have an experience and share that with people and teach them a little bit, they get a little bit of takeaway from it. Um, that's me. And uh, I was getting that from, from Gadget Show. It was, it was high energy, it was informative, and it was about the sort of products that science was behind. So there was a scientific thread going through it. Um, and uh, a few months after I joined this new agency, um, Gadget Show announced that they were looking for a replacement presenter. So I went and met with the um, exec producer. We had, you know, we had some nice banter over the course of an hour or so. And um, I said to him, you know, we've, we've met in a, you know, in a sort of restaurant bar. Are we now going to the studio to do, do a screen test yeah. and whatnot? He says, I know what you do. He says, I know what you're capable of. Um, I'll make a couple of calls. I'd like to offer it to you. Um, and two days later, I was confirmed. Um, so it, it, it happened. Um, quickly um, because it was meant to or because I was the right person for the job um, you know by design maybe all of those things um, and uh, off and on 10 years I've been a part of that family now and uh, it's it, it's been a a tumultuous ride and at the moment full confession I'm enjoying it more than I have done for a long time. Okay. More than I have done for a long time. I, I felt a while ago, maybe three or four years ago, that um, you know, maybe it was time to step aside um, and do more and be more involved 
behind the camera. And um, I'm trying to make that work currently. I have some, some writing partners, but it's, it's hard. It's hard because it's a, it's a very closed network. Um, it's not quite the old boys school. But, you know, all the controllers and them, they know each other. They all came up together. It's very clicky. Yeah, it's very clicky. Um, but I am enjoying my on-screen experiences again. Um, and, that's, and that's very refreshing because it's given me renewed vigor in other areas. Yeah. And, of course, there's a lot of conversation across Black Tech Fest, but also just across the tech industry around diversity mm. um, or lack thereof. <laughs> So what are some of the things, I suppose, uh, from your side? It's, it's lacking. Yeah. There's no question it's lacking. Some of the biggest um, tech reviewers are black and brown people. Um, you've got um, Super Saf, um, Gadgets Boy, uh, Marcus Brownlee. Yeah. Um, th these, are, these are the biggest cats out there. Um, so there is... There is some level of representation, but again, it's only that visual. Behind the scenes, the corporation CEOs, the startup managers, um, I haven't seen many. I really haven't seen many. Um, and you can tell me that it's, you know, that they're out there. Um, you know, bang your drum louder um, because I can't see, I can't see you and I can't hear you. And I know that you're not in some of those corporations from how the tech works. Yeah. Um, a couple of examples. The, um, I carry two phones. I always carry two phones um, because before people start labeling uh, nefarious side, side projects, um, <clears throat> I have my uh, main phone with my main number and I have a SIM card account which I put into different devices so I can, I can review them rather than transferring everything that I am to a new phone all the time. Um, I have two phones, two different um, corporations. One phone to face unlock. I literally have to turn it over. Oh, there's, there's Otis, I'm open. The other phone, uh, which is from you know, a particular region where there definitely aren't that many of us around, Trying to get it to recognize me in daylight, fam. Not even subdued light. In daylight is a nonsense. Yeah. But it will grab my fingerprint. Yeah. At the same time, infrared sensors from um, doing hands to just waking up certain tech won't recognize the back of my skin because there are no testers who look like me in the lab. Yeah. Um, AI, which we are now seeing, is biased against... Um, there was a headline, I think, just yesterday um, against black females um, and people of darker skin. This is because we don't exist in, in the research centers, in the databases. In the databases. Um, and uh, someone said to me, again, because a lot of this code is being written, a lot of the time unwittingly, um, by white people or white males, the AI, the coding is biased as well. So what you're getting is a, is a generation of artificial intelligence that is seeing and experiencing the world in the same way as their coders, their code masters. And I think that's a really interesting point because it 
speaks to, you know, oftentimes people are saying we need more diversity because it looks good or from a representation point of view. I think one of the things you're picking up is even from a customer experience point of view, as a black male, you're not getting the best experience that you could get because of all these things. And so, and so it, it, it counts because visually it's good. Visually it's, it's, it's required for us to see us. Um, and now it's required for the AI to see us because AI and machine learning, whether you like it or not, is going places, it's getting stronger. It's, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. But just like the children that we have and the children that we teach, if we're not coding it correctly, it will be biased. And we're going to be left behind. I suppose in terms of the bigger construct or theme of this year, 2020, racial inequality, inclusion, these headlines have been been there, these events have happened. I suppose, how are you, what's your reflection over the last six months um, on what's happened? And I suppose what needs to, what changes need to occur to get on the other side? My reflection, um, I think the, the reflection is I and we have had enough and, and that it has to change. And I, for one, have, have a part to play using my platform to uh, make as many people aware as possible. But the energy that the next generation has, that the, the youngers have, the ones who are being incredibly vocal about it, the ones that are going out on the streets, the ones who are really, really challenging their peers and the people around them. It's, it's them that will, I think, have that changing effect at the, at the ground level. But because it pervades at, at different levels, every one of us, and, and by that I mean every one of us, has a responsibility to to talk. I don't think there's a case where you can say, uh, well, I'm at the end of my years now, I'm about to pass over to the next, uh, to the next phase. Um, it's not, it's not my fight. Um, the youngers need to see from us and the elders that it, that it matters, that for some reason or another, we didn't feel as though we could say anything. Um, but you now carry the responsibility of, you know, speaking for us yeah. as well. It's it's only we don't need their permission, but to be acknowledged and to be seen um, by our elders, and to be given a um, not a pat on the back, but a a voice of um, assurance that we're heading in the right direction is is what's it, it helps. There was a um, a police commissioner on a news item um, I watched uh, a, a few months ago, and I um, think one of the first black commissioners in the UK, police commissioners in the UK, and he effectively said, um, "We didn't feel as though we could talk with the vigor, the energy, and the passion um, that younger people are are doing." And he said, "And I'm here for it." He said, you know, he said, and, and, it, it, and, it, and it gave me goosebumps at the time, um, you know, to hear it from someone who struggled through it because they didn't feel as though they could say something. Yeah. 
to be able to say, you know, you, you take this and you run with it. This is the moment. Yeah, Let's yeah. And I do feel that we have, um, we have gone past a tipping point and that there is a lot of energy. And I think we would be incredibly foolish to not do what we could to help the cause. Yeah. Um, in the past, some of us, myself included, have feared putting our heads above the parapet and Be saying, nervous. yeah, and saying, no, 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 but wait a minute, that, that isn't right. Because we were the only head above the parapet. It makes us an easy target. Some people aren't afraid of that. Um, but now that there are more heads coming up, there is strength in numbers. There is strength in numbers. We, we already know this. Um, and it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in my lifetime. But I think if younger people can see or next generations can see that the generation before them fought and made a little bit of difference, they can like, well, if we redouble their efforts, we can have add to us, we yeah, we can make more difference, more difference, more difference, more difference. Um, someone was being interviewed um, on the streets of a protest and she said, I don't see what the problem is. You, you lot, white people, the controllers, you lot are lucky that we're asking for equality. That's all we're asking for. Yeah. We're, not, we're not trying to supersede you. We're yeah. not trying to eradicate you. Do you know what I mean? Just, we're to, not get, trying just to, to be yeah. at the same level. We're not trying to euthanize you. We want a seat at the table. We want equality. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, there are, there are others that are more articulate than me. Um, there are others who, are, who wear their passion better than I do, but I back them all the way. And, you know, I'm, I've said things, I'm continuing to say things. I have a platform um, and I want to, you know, I want to use it. And I suppose to wrap up, you know, a lot of people, company leaders, um, you know, profiles have come out and really in this time either had a new commitment or have pledged to double down on something. What, what is your pledge? What are you doing now that you, you wouldn't do differently or what is something that you want to carry through? Um, calling people and organisations out. Wouldn't have done that before. Um, if someone made a, uh, an inappropriate joke that leaves me uncomfortable, yeah. I will now say, wasn't funny. Yeah. Um, I think so-and-so would have been upset by that. Or you, you, can't, you can't joke like this yeah. anymore. You can't. It's, it's not funny because it hurts someone. Be smarter with your humour. I do, I, do <clears throat> I do think comedians and humour have it hard, but yeah. those, those that succeed will be the smart ones. Yeah. Adapt. Yeah. yeah, dumb, dumb comedy. It's that done. Is. That's that's gone. You know, just like sexist humor um, from back in the day, um, and just like we're seeing racist humor, it's on it's it's on its way out. If comedy is your thing, be smart with it. Um, so yeah, I mean, so for me, no longer the because I'm I'm a people watcher, um, but I can't be the silent observer yeah. anymore. I can't be like, um, you know, I know, I know X isn't racist and that's okay with me. I have to now know that X is 
anti-racist. Yeah. I need to know that X is going to say, no, 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 you can't, you can't say that because I love people like this. I, I walk with people like this and this isn't, this isn't the right way to talk about them. This isn't the right way to, to treat them. I only want allies going forward. I'm happy to come to the table and, and debate with you. We don't have to think exactly the same way. Um, we don't have, even have to have the same political leanings, so to speak. But if you aren't anti-racist, you can't sit at my table, man. You can't. I love that. And I think that that is definitely where we're at, where it's not enough to be silent now. Mm. It's not enough to, to, to shadow away. I think silence is actually complicity. Yes, I agree. Um, and it's definitely something to move. Mm. Well, Otis, I've enjoyed this i feel like we're, this is the first of many conversations around this topic yes, i feel the same it's been my pleasure thanks so much thank you